Kwasa was mentioning uh, in the announcement, uh, as a church we are in a time of transition. And in this transition time, uh, the elders considered for us to adopt a new constitution, a new type of government uh, as well for our church. Excuse me. So we thought then that this is the perfect season for us to refocus our understanding and our vision of what the Bible has to say about the life of the local church. And what does it mean for us as New Life Church to be faithful to our calling? And one important aspect we want to highlight today with regards to our calling is how we as New Life Church can keep the presence of the Holy God in our midst. And actually that is the title of my message today, uh, Keeping God's Presence. But before we read our passage for today, one crucial way for us to understand the presence of God is for us to go through the Bible and see and trace the theme of temple and priesthood. So in this introduction, everything that I'm going to say, it's not my thought, but it is from J.K. Bill and Mitchell Kim in their book, God Dwells Among Us, how to expand the presence of God beyond the boundaries of Eden. But their book allowed me to understand what we will try to meditate together this morning. So right in the first passage, or in the first pages of the Bible, Eden is presented as a temple and as a sanctuary and there's a dwelling place of God. You go to Genesis, you can understand that. And it, it, it is in that garden temple that Adam and Eve fully experienced God's presence in an intimate relationship with him. The Bible says that they walked with God and they talked with God. It was in God's dwelling place Place, meaning in Eden, that God has commissioning, commissioned Adam and Eve to expand his presence beyond the boundaries of Eden. And part of their responsibilities connected to this commissioning were to work and keep the garden. Look with me in Genesis 2, uh, 15. The Bible says the following. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to do what? To work and keep it. Adam and Eve were like the priests of Israel 
who served in the tabernacle and after in the temple, that were responsible to serve in the tent of meeting and to guard the sanctuary of God's presence from any unclean thing. Matter of fact, it is interesting for us to observe from God's word that these same words that is used over there in Genesis 2.15, to work and to keep, that God used it for Adam, are also used elsewhere in the Bible to refer to the work of the Israel's priest and Levite. You can confirm this if you are taking note in Numbers 18, 3 to 6, and also Ezekiel 44, 14. But as we know, Adam and Eve, and even the priests and the Levites in Israel, they failed in their mission to serve God and to protect the sanctuary. Adam sinned by ignoring God's commandment. And by doing that, he gets him and Eve exiled from the presence of God in the garden temple of Eden. But despite men and women's exile in the garden, the expansion of God's presence that humanity experienced in Eden would continue, but not in a perfect way. God established a way for His dwelling presence to be among His people. He did that in the context of the tabernacle, and in the context also of the temple. But guess what? The priests and the Levites, they also failed in their mission, causing God's presence to depart from the midst of his people. And this failure would continue until the last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, came, who finally fulfilled the commissioning on behalf of humanity. But since then, God is still in the business to make His presence known today through His new temple. And who are this new temple? Who is this new temple? You and me. The church of the living God is the instrument in God's hand in order for His name being known all over the, the world. Remember that the promise of God's word is that all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. And how this will take place? It is in and through the church. One day, God will fill the whole earth with his dwelling presence. When that day comes, his mission will be complete. But for now, he establishes his presence in and through Christ. And because of that, every believer, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a king and you are also a priest. Let me repeat this because this is essential for us to understand the passage of today. 
if you are indeed a true believer in Christ, you are a king and you are a priest. This is not my words. If you remember what the blessing was last week, Revelation 5, 9 and 10, look it with me in the screen and see what the Lord, what the Lord is saying to us. And they sang a new song saying, Word are you, talking about Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, and people and nation. And see this last part. And you have made them what? A kingdom? And what? Priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Peter agrees with John when he says in, second, in 1 Peter uh, 2, 9, these words, and these also over there in the screen. But you are what? A chosen generation. He is talking about to believers in uh, the Asian minor. But this is a word for us today. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, king and priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and the people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me repeat. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a king and you are a priest to our God. You may not feel like it. Even you may not like that. But the fact is that you are a king and that you are a priest. And just as Adam and Eve and then the priests and the Levites in Jerusalem or in Israel had to work and guard the presence of God in the garden temple of Eden and after in the tabernacle and in the temple and expand his presence to the rest of the world. Today, we as redeemed people have the same responsibility. As priests, we must guard the temple of the living God. And we are also to guard His presence. Not allowing any unclean thing to come in. You have this responsibility. I repeat, you have this responsibility. Adam failed, the priest failed. Are you going to fail as well? Are we also going to fail in our responsibility to guard the presence of the Lord? In what ways are we fulfilling this ideal? 
Are we living out our intended role as a priest? How are, you, how are we expanding God's presence to those around us? And this is what our passage will teach us today. I know it was a lengthy introduction, but I felt that it is important for us to understand that. This background information we just shared is crucial for us to understand our passage today. Without it, there is a danger for us to misinterpret or misunderstand what God, in and through the Apostle Paul, has to say to us this morning. Our passage will teach us today one of the ways we have as priests to keep God's presence in our midst and also will teach us how we can expand God's presence, His glorious presence, until it fills the earth in a way it never had before. And I pray that has, as we do that, the Holy Spirit will teach us. But for that to happen, your heart and your mind needs to be open for what God has for you today. I pray that we will not harden our hearts, but we will receive and embrace His Word with gladness for us, New Life Church, to be part of God's plan to expand His presence to the world around us. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, oh, sorry, chapter 5, from verses 1 to 13. That says the word of God. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among us, and of a kind that it is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant, you are proud. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such, such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus... And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction, the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens all the, all the lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lamp as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamp, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the, fest the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity 
and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greed, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. Since then, you need to go out of the, the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler. <coughs> not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? <coughs> Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Heavenly Father, you know that this is a heavy and a very difficult passage to preach. But our sufficiency doesn't come from us. It comes from you. In delivering this word and even in receiving end of this word. Therefore, Lord, I pray by your mercies, Lord, because of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross of Calvary. I pray that you will take this word and break in us any resistance in order for us, Lord, to see you as you really are in the beauty of your holiness, for your name's sake, and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, you see that this is not a very uh, pleasant passage, isn't it? It's a very difficult one. And right from the beginning, Paul is reporting, or is writing to these brothers and sisters from the church in Corinth. Why he is doing that? First of all, because it was Paul that had planted the church of Corinth. If you still be here, very soon we will be resuming our studies in the book of Acts. When we come to chapter 18, we will see Paul planting this church of Corinth. Most probably, Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months in the process of planting this church. And this was the second longest stay of Paul, uh, only behind the three years that Paul stayed in Ephesus. And we believe also, and scholars agree with that, that he is in Ephesus while he is writing this letter to the Corinth. But what do we know about the, the city of Corinth? First of all, it was a port city just as Ephesus. And you know, if, if, uh, if you see the movies of old, 
you know that in those days, those port cities, they were full of immorality. In the city of Corinth, there was even a temple given or consecrated to Aphrodite. Uh, scholar says that there were times that 1,000 prostitutes of this temple will just go down in the street and offer themselves to the people that will come uh, to make trade in Corinth, and then they take the, they, they will take the money of that night, uh, night of prostitution and they consecrate that to this goddess Aphrodite. She is known as the god of love, but she, she should be known as a god of lust, because that's what she is. And is that different from the time we are living today, church? You will agree that societies, even the place where we are, immorality is creeping in like never before. The battle for sexual purity, not only for men but for women, has not been as strong as in our days. And I believe that parents in here, they have that consciousness and they are trying to lead their children how to be or how they need to be protected from the culture around us. I remember even as I was preparing this uh, message that uh, Woody Allen, I didn't know that, but Woody Allen, the one of film director, in 1997, he got married to her adopted uh, daughter. Like, the adoption was done through uh, his wife, but then he divorced his wife and got married to uh, her or his adopted daughter. And this is what Paul starts blasting or really remembering the church in Corinth. But before we proceed, I just want to let you know that we will see four ways, four ways that we as a church, we can keep God's presence in our midst. And the first one, it's from verse 1 to 2, identifying the hindrances in here, these hindrances, I'm talking about specific sins to the presence of God. Identifying the hindrances to the presence of God. Verses 1 and 2. So we see there that Paul is saying that, look, someone came and I heard that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the, the pagans. Someone in the church has, to, has taken his father's wife as his own wife. It was an incestuous relationship. And this was happening just in the church of Corinth. But Paul's amazement was not that this sin was taking place in the church. See with me in verse 2 what he said. And you are proud. You are arrogant. How can you allow such thing to happen in your midst? 
until not, until not rather to mourn. Then he says, let him who has done this do what? Be removed from among you. Is it a hard saying, isn't it? It's not easy for us to have this stand and do what Paul is asking us to do there. But I want to remember you to remind you that you are what? A priest. And as a priest, you are to guard God's presence, God's holy presence in the midst of his church. The Bible says in Revelation 2, 19, 23. Let's read that together. Revelations 2, from verse 19 to 23. This is Jesus speaking directly from his mouth to the church of uh, Titara, if uh, I'm pronouncing it cor correctly. See what Jesus is saying. I know your words. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance. And that your latter words exceed the first. But I have this against you. That you do what? Tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servant to practice sexual immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So, what is the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ here? Is it that he will take the harm and crush people? The invitation is for repentance. And this is the same invitation that he is given to us and was given, we will see, to this man. But brothers and sisters, when in our midst there is a repentant sinner, the one that wants to stick in his way of walking after Satan, if there is no repentance, and this is the case of this man, we need to remove that person 
among the church. Maybe every one of us will go out, you know, will be removed, you will say. Because who here can stand not guilty before the Lord? But we will see that this is not the emphasis of Paul in here. The emphasis is in the condition of the heart. It is in a repentant sin, and you can again meditate in this word of Jesus in Revelation. You will see that he is inviting us to call him Father. We sang it. But he is a holy Father. Therefore, he is inviting us, his children, to know him in the beauty of his holiness. And we as a church, we must take care of the presence of the Lord in our midst. When was the last time you mourned for your sin? Paul is here, he's saying, you are so proud. Or do you not rather to mourn? Just throw back in your own life. Don't think about your spouse, don't think about your children. Think about you. When was the last time you mourned for your own sin? Here, it is not only that prayer, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. It is a contrite. It is a deeper search of your heart. It is like you have lost your beloved one. That you cry with tears, Lord, please forgive me. Psalms 51 is a good uh, uh, picture of that. David is praying, Lord, please, don't take your spirit from me. Forgive me. When was the last time you did that? If not for you, did you do for your spouse? Did you do for your children? Did you do for the church of our living God? Did you do for Brother Pedro? When was the last time you mourned for your sin? This is the invitation for you and me this morning. So the first way is for us to identify specific sin. In this case, was incest. But the second way we have to keep God's presence in our midst is to judge the sin in the con congregation. Verses 3 and 5. Paul over there very clearly is casting a judgment upon these men. And we, we saw that in our reading. But many of us would say, man, Pedro, I don't want to be judgmental to others. I'm also a sinner, saved by grace. And then we will quote Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. We will say that, yeah? 
like who am I to take care of or to put my head in my brother's and my sister's life? Who am I to speak against what he is doing? Remember, and I remind you again, you are what? Priest. A priest. And as a priest, yes, you must, according to God's word, cast judgment. But as we have learned, this judgment, it is not to be uh, an hypocrite judgment. The word judgment even just say that we need to make a conclusion after a careful thought about the situation. What was at, at stake here in the church of Corinth? The holiness of God was at stake. And when the church, Paul is saying, would you not to sit and see and just see the situation? and make a judgment upon that? It was known. It was not something hidden. It was known in the church. It's like uh, uh, this brother came and sat here like Friday morning. And we then take the courage to say, you cannot be with us. But this is what Paul is asking us to do here. Paul is the one who has commanded this action, but he is saying to all the church, it is the church as whole that need to carry out this commandment. In doing so, all of them, they will be responsible in confronting that man among, among them. Brothers and sisters, Paul is not implying perfection from me and from you. The point is the unrepentant attitude of someone that you have come and called him in his sin. And for sure, Paul has in mind what we learned last week in Matthew 18, the steps for sure, this brother, someone in the church took him aside say, this is a sin. You cannot do it. You cannot continue in that relationship. But he didn't repent. He insisted. But now, Paul is saying, all church, you need to do or make, get an action to this brother. Take this picture. I'm not mom and dad yet, or we are not. But suppose you're 10-year-old, you just mess up something, and then you came to correct her or to correct him. And you say, mom, oh, dad, sorry, just hold on there. I have only one, I know you will correct me, but I have only one question. Are you perfect? Will you stop to correct your children on that? Will you stop? Again, the picture here is not asking 
Pedro, you need to be perfect before you call attention to me in my sin. The issue here is the hardness of heart. Is the repentant heart. And I need to stress that. You and me, we have all areas that we need to repent. And maybe right now the Holy Spirit is dealing with you in your heart, showing areas that you are becoming hardened to the call of our God to you, to repent to that sin. You don't want to repent. But this is the call that God has for you today. And why? He is inviting you to call him Father. See, this act of these people should be to, first of all, we mentioned, yeah? All the church needs to be involved. So all the church needs to say, you cannot come to our meetings. And secondly, Paul is saying that they should deliver these men to Satan, verse 4, or verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Some of us will say, Paul, this is not loving. How can you tell us to deliver this man to Satan? But stop or pause and read the rest of the passage. For the destruction of? For the destruction of? The flesh, so that what his spirit may be. So, what is in mind of Paul? Why he is giving that commandment for them to deliver these men to Satan? The salvation of these men. Like again, I I had to correct my younger sister. Ten years difference. Like that day, I missed a little bit my mind and I slapped her, but after my heart became, oh, what did you do? But is discipline something wrong, something bad? I believe parents here, let, can I see someone that never, never corrected his children? Never. But then, why you do that? Love them. To love them, because you love them. And this is what Paul is saying to us. The disciplines, the delivering for Satan is actually what? An act of love. The example I gave of you coming to correct your uh, son or daughter and she or he asked, are you perfect? Sometimes it's the same thing we want to project to God. Let me explain this. Sometimes we refuse to do that thinking that we are more gracious that the gracious God. We refuse to call our brother and our sisters in her or his sins 
Because we think we know how to love him or her better than the Lord that said, cast him out, deliver him to Satan. Is it not a haughty way of thinking? Do you think you can love people better than God? Can you conceive this in your mind? And this is the Lord, your God, that has made you priest, that is giving you the responsibility in His church. If there is an unrepentant sin among you, you need to stand and call out your brother and your sister in that. Why? Because you love you and you want him to be saved. This is like Paul was saying to this church of Corinth, to these brothers and sisters. See, if this guy, he wants to go in the ways of Satan, let then Satan have him completely. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? Luke 15. <clears throat> He wanted that he wanted that he wanted that he wanted his inheritance. I believe his father was trying to hold him back. But no, I want this. I want this. Okay, you want this? Take it. Not always that God give us something. It is his perfect will. Maybe that very thing that he gave you. The freedom that you have. You cannot tell me what to do, Pedro. I am old enough. I know what to do. You cannot correct me. Who are you? You did this to Vitorina last day. I saw it. Why are you coming now to me showing me this? Are you perfect? Okay, go. Have your way. Remember what happened with that prodigal son? He came to the point of eating with pigs. Satan crushed him completely. But what happened? He remembered. He is inviting me to call him Father. I just need to take that hardened heart and do what? Repent. I'll go to my father and say, Father, I sin against, against you. Brothers and sisters, this is the call that we have from our father today. He is inviting us to call him father. The third way. First, we need to keep God's presence by identifying the hindrances of the presence of the Lord. Talking about sin. Judging sin is the second one from the congregation. Third way is for us to remove the leaven. Verse 6 and 8. Paul continues saying, your pridefulness is not a good thing. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole uh, lump? And the picture that, or the image that Paul has here is of the Passover. You can read, go at home and just read Exodus 12. 
when God was giving the command to Israel uh, for them to sacrifice the lamb after the nine plague of uh, an unplugging exodus, he says to them, without not reason, he didn't explain anything, but he just said, take all leaven from home. Clean your house from home. Those days it was like all family, they will go out in their house and they will take every leaven thing. Even if they, do, they did the, the dough, the dough is on the, on the pot, they would take that pot and throw it away because no leaven could be in, in the house. Why? God says so. With this picture, Paul is saying to this church, See, take all leaven from you. Take, take all leaven from them. So we see that the responsibility is for them to identify the sin and to take it outside. That's the leaven. Sin is a leaven. If we have a sinful person in our church, and we don't do anything, any unrepentant sinner in our church, and we don't do anything, our testimony before the world is spoiled. And we need to take this immoral people, person, from our midst. There is a saying that says that the rotten apple spoils the whole and this is what he's saying here. So how are we then to keep this feast? By constantly, constantly removing the leaven from our house. Brothers and sisters, as we come to Christ, our Passover lamb, he through his blood and through his death and resurrection has taken away all leaven from us. And see there, Paul is saying, you take this leaven, see carefully, verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new, what? Lump, like a new creation. But see the next phrase. Has you really? Ah. So he is saying, you are fish, just swim. Leave out who you are. You have been created in our, or in the likeness of our God, in all righteousness and holiness. Just walk in holiness. This is what Paul is inviting them to do here. And brothers and sisters, this is what we have also included in our constitution. There is one article very clearly talking about Church discipline. And Pastor last, last week he said that like what is driving us is not to expose people unnecessarily, neither to expose their sinful behavior or attitude. No, at all. The same motivation is what we are passing to you or speaking to you this morning. Is out of love and out of the responsibility that God has given us 
as leaders, as overseers, not as well because we are perfect at all. But are we then to like just be standing there, see the church going up and down in a way that we cannot go and then we don't do anything? But guess what? This is not only the responsibility of the leaders. It is the responsibility of the church. Why? You are a you are a it is your responsibility. And this is what the invitation of the gospel is. As priests, we are guardians to the cleanness of our families and of our church. We must remove everything unclean that hinders God's holy presence to be manifested in our midst. One thing this coronavirus is teaching us, coronavirus is saying church discipline makes sense. Not that we need coronavirus to understand church discipline, but there is something in this coronavirus that makes us to understand church discipline. Can I ask you, why Lou is not in the church today? Because she tested positive. It is an act of love from Lou not to be in the church today, isn't it? Because she knows if she comes here, she can what? Contaminate every one of us, isn't it? Therefore, it is also loving from the church. If we observe someone with sinful coronavirus, coronavirus say, don't come to our midst. Why? You will spoil and contaminate all of us. But remember, we do that with the person that is what? In a repentant heart, a repentant sin. We identify the hindrances, the sins of, to the presence of God. We judge the sin in the congregation. We remove the leaven. And then we, not, we are not to associate with those who claims to be believers, yet flaunt their sin. Verses 9 and 13. And we will stop there. The word translated associate there is having an intimate relationship with this person. See, Paul there saying, even you don't eat with this person. Uh, I see uh, like some fight in scholars to uh, know what Paul is saying there. Some say he's really not uh, inviting this person for a meal, but others are saying not allowing her to or she or he to be part of the Lord's table. Because the Lord's table is when we come in communion with God and with one another in holiness. Yes? And again, the emphasis there is what? The unrepentant heart. Meaning, if you are coming to the Lord's table without an unrepentant heart, we as a church, we can say, don't partake from it. And this is what the Bible is saying there. 
But see that Paul is making a very distinction there because in the first letter that we don't know where it is, it's not part of the Bible, but Paul is saying, verse 9, that I wrote to you in my letter, the first letter, for you not to associate with sexually immoral people. But they thought it was anyone in the church, or, sorry, anyone outside the world. And Paul is clarifying that, saying, not that I mean people in the world. Why? Because sinful people, they do sinful things. You cannot judge outside people. You cannot. The judgment that we need to cast or we need to pro uh, pro proclaim or to, uh, to do is in the church, not outside the church. Like if you go and say, oh, how would Alan could do this? Sinful people do sinful things. They are, they are not transforming their heart. Therefore, there is nothing you can say to him or to her to repent. But to those that are called believers, meaning God has given them a new heart, not a heart of stone, a heart of flesh, you can talk to him in order to call him to repentance. And this is our duty. Again, I would say more about that, but my time is up. Uh, Paul is not saying, don't go to the world. Otherwise, he says, otherwise you should not be in the world. I'm not saying that we cannot talk to other people here, but to our brother or to the person that is called believer, that you see in clear repentant sin, you need to call him out and not allow him to eat. End of verse 13, he says again, purge or cut the, the evil person from among you. Let me finish and just say, why are we saying all this? Why is this important? First of all, the leaven needs to be taken from your own house. And your own house is, first of all, you as individual. Brothers and sisters, the invitation of God is for us to call him Father. But because he is a holy God, you cannot approach him in any way you want. That's why Jesus Christ came to cover us in his blood to cover us with his righteousness in order for us to come to the Holy God, to worship the Holy God. The very fact that we are here and we are able to worship God, it is because our Savior lives. It is because his blood is speaking in our behalf in the throne of God. The very fact we will be able to be in eternity, it is because he is our high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And this will never end. But for you and me to experience God's presence, brothers and sisters, and it is possible. 
I need to confess something from me now, I believe, as we close. Last year, my professor assigned a, a passage in Exodus 33 for me to do the exegesis or the interpretation of that passage. And that passage speaks about the intercession of Moses to the people of Israel after they sinned in the golden calf. But in the midst of that intercession, Moses openly, open, openly asked God, Lord, show me who you are. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And because of that, I was rebuked. And the Lord, just as I was meditating, it's like he told me, Pedro, you are not seeking me with all your heart to find me. And you know, this is the invitation. God wants us to know him. Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter 1, verse from 2 to 4. The Bible is saying that grace and peace be multiplied to you by that knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And at the end, like there in verse 4, the Bible says, so that through his promises you may be what? Partakers of his divine nature. That's why God sees you and he disciplines you when you are in sin. And as a church, we are here as a priest to uphold this that God is doing in your life. How do we know that? It is in the scripture reading that we just read in the morning. Hebrews 12, and I'll finish there. Hebrews 12, verses 9 and 10. Beside this, we have heard earthly fathers who discipline us as we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjected to the Father of the spirits? Why? Verse 10. For they, the parents, discipline us for a short time as it seemed, as it seemed best to them. But he, God, Disciplines us for what? For? For? And what? That we may share of His holiness. This is the invitation of the Gospels, brothers and sisters. If you are here and you don't know Christ, please take note that He has come to this world. God has come to this world and gave his life for you, paid for your sins, for you not to pay for your sin. He did that for you. Now by faith, you just need to believe and say, Lord, I am yours, forgive me of my sin. And you will be forgiven. <clears throat> and if you are walking in sin, being a believer, this is the time that the Lord is calling you. The invitation is for us to share His holiness. Stop, pause, go home, and just meditate in this. The invitation of the gospel 
is for us to be partakers of the divine nature, partakers of his holiness. Reason why, as priests, we all need church discipline. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we will not take this word as a word of man. Yes, it is a difficult one, but as we have seen, you have called us for us to be partakers of your holiness. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, as New Life Church, we will not shun away from this responsibility. Not in arrogance, Lord. Not in the proudness of our heart. But because of your love and because our Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, is interceding, ever lives to make intercession for us. Him that through his flesh has opened a new and living way for us to come to you. He's inviting all of us, Lord, to be partakers of your holiness. I pray, Lord, that we will consider your holiness in the next days, personally, as a family. I pray for our youth, Lord, for you to protect them from the immoral environment of this world, that we as a church, we will have time to really cry, oh Lord, for our lives. Lord, I pray that as a church, we will be able to know how to implement church discipline because you are a father that disciplines your children. If we listen to your word today, Lord, you ask for us not to harden our heart. Lord, destroy any resistance in us that stands against the knowledge of Christ so that we may see you as you really are in the beauty of your holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.